Shalom, Shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted-in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Miketz at the end. The address is Breshit, Genesis, chapter 41, verse 1, through chapter 44, verse 17. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman. The written commentary was updated on December 15th of 2005. Note, all quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible, translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bachar Banu Mikol HaAmim V'natan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe. You have selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. This is how Parashat Miketz begins with the dreams of the highest ruler of Egypt. Now, the title Miketz is a Hebrew word that means at the end. And um, as we're about to see, we are nearing the finalization of the um, prophetic events of Joseph's life. But the portion starts out at the end of two years. Now, recalling our events from last week's portion, um, Joseph was sent to prison at the false charges of Potiphar's wife. You remember, she tried to advance on him uh, sexually, and when he refused, she lied and had him thrown into prison. And so he's in prison, and he encounters the, um, the cupbearer and the chief baker, and he interprets their dreams. Of course, God is giving him the ability to interpret their dreams. He's not doing this of his own. At any rate, he um, asks them as they uh, uh, are taken from prison, he asks them to remember him uh, and tell the Pharaoh about him or tell someone about him, anybody, to get him out of this mess. And as it turns out, um, the dreams come true of the, of the uh, cupbearer and the baker, and yet they forget about Yosef until... The um, the one who does not get executed uh, remembers that uh, Joseph was able to interpret their dreams. And so Joseph spends two more years in prison waiting for something to happen. That's where our portion picks up today, okay? It's interesting that um, dreams, at least in the Torah, uh, seem to play a significant part of the life of our main character, Yosef, whose name in English is Joseph. In fact, if we recall, it was his dreams and boyhood naivete that landed him in a dried-up well at the hands of his angry brothers. Moreover, Hashem also enabled him to interpret the dreams, as I mentioned, of both the chief baker and the chief cupbearer while he was there in prison. So, 
Accordingly, as we begin this week's portion, we now find another dream, not by Yosef this time, but um, by uh, the the king of Egypt. But it's being examined examined in scripture as we as it unfolds. The story unfolds, and we look at it here. And our man Yosef, it seems, is about to get caught up right in the middle of these circumstances as well. So I mean, it's not improper to say that Joseph was a dreamer. Um, in fact, I've got a, uh, a an animated version of the story of Joseph. Uh, it's after the tradition of the Prince of Egypt. I think the same uh, artists put together the the um, this animation, this uh, cartoon. And anyway, it's called um, uh, Joseph. I think it's called uh, uh, the Man of Dreams, or Joseph the Dreamer, or something to that effect. <laughs> And that's not really an insult to this man, because God is speaking to him supernaturally through his dreams, which is really, really kind of cool, in my opinion. At any rate, um, I want to say something just briefly about this week's Haftarah, which is, uh, I haven't really said much about him on these podcasts. A Torah portion is a prescribed anywhere from three to six chapters uh, portion uh a story that's been selected from the uh, greater narrative as a whole and singled out to be read on Shabbat. A haftarah is its complementary portion, usually involving some details from the Torah portion to make make the, uh, a tie-in to the two. Uh, it's it's not half of a Torah, as the word seems to signify to some people. Haftarah comes from the Hebrew root word heftir, which means to complete. At any rate. Um, this week's Hof Torah portion has a significant tie-in to the weekly Torah portion in that uh, Melech Shlomo, which is King Solomon, he begins his rule after his father David's kingdom with a dream from Hashem. And the Hof Torah portion can be read in 1 Kings three fifteen through 4, verse 1. Um, so, after a dream that God gives him, his, his, his rule begins, you could say. And in our parasha, if we compare the two, we're beginning to understand that Hashem is masterfully guiding Yosef into just the right circumstances will, that will enable him to be a conduit of the wisdom and the providence of God. In other words, Yosef is about to become a leader as well, a ruler. Now, well, he's already a leader in his, in his character, but he's about to ascend to a position of the land that is... Excuse me, that is uh, just under that of Pharaoh. Uh, to be sure, everything up to this point has been precisely, uh, precisely planned and orchestrated by Hashem. If we stop and, and try and make some application just, just this early on in the story, we could ask ourselves, what does that tell us as believers today? When it seemed as if nothing can go right, then nothing could be further from the truth. Let's look at some of our words of assurance uh, in Romans chapter 8. Um, verse 28 through 29. Um, but before I go there, uh, I just want to um, say that Joseph seems to be getting deeper and deeper into hot water at times. He's get, he gets thrown into a pit, and and he gets rescued. He gets sold off to Egypt, and then things go well for him for a while, well for him for a while, and then he gets thrown into jail, and things seem to go south for a long time, and now it seems like they're going to go better, and yet uh, God is 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 with him at every step of the way and and this we can be sure of so with that in mind let's make some application um this verse in romans because every detail of this wonderful promise is pertinent to our study i want to quote it at length okay allow me to read the entire passage or this entire verse quote we know that in a 
I'm sorry, let me start over again. Quote, we know that in everything, God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans eight twenty-eight through 39, all 11 verses there. And for some reason I didn't mark on my written commentary which version that came from. I'll have to go back and check that out. I definitely know it's not David Stern's version because Christ and Jesus show up as uh, David Stern's version seems to substitute uh, Yeshua HaMashiach there. At any rate, good promises. And those are verses that we're familiar with if you've uh, been in church at any amount of time. Based on the context of these verses, there really shouldn't be any doubt as to the reasons why Hashem is orchestrating our circumstances. After all, His Son paid a heavy price for our freedom. And consequently, the Father is seeing to it that we develop properly as righteous sons and daughters conformed into the image of his son it is this way as we surrender to the father's bidding as we give in to the will of the holy spirit that we um, see that the father's love is demonstrated for us and this demonstration is most aptly um, described as becoming his chosen vessels really if you think about it we were ripe for destruction in our sin nature God had no um, obligation to reach down and rescue us and clean us up, stand us on our feet. But it was his intense love. I keep using that phrase, intense love, throughout my commentaries. God has demonstrated his love for us and that he sent his son not only to die for us, but he sent the spirit of his son to live within us, to cause us to walk into righteousness, becoming conformed to his image, becoming his chosen vessels. And in a similar way, Yosef was being singled out as Hashem's chosen vessel as well. So, you could say and agree with me that his circumstances were being orchestrated. This next section of my commentary is entitled, God Works in Mysterious Ways. My, uh, the, the title of this um, section is taken from a Kim Hill song, Christian Artist. Um, I think the song is entitled, God Works in Mysterious Ways. And I grew up working at a uh, Christian radio station, FM 91.1 KWBI in Denver, Colorado, for those of you who have ever heard of the station. Eight years I was a DJ there, and lots of Christian music went through my uh, uh, 
mind at the time. Um, I wasn't as Hebraic as I am now back then, um, but nevertheless, God was pouring into me uh, some simple truths as being spoken through these songs. At any rate, let's go back to the commentary. In this section, um, practically, one might ask, why did God choose to reveal himself to an ungodly ruler, such as Pharaoh? Um, you know, God speaks to us, and that we can be sure of. In fact, in my own life, I, I, I'm fond of noting that I have no problem hearing God's voice. My problem isn't with obeying <laughs> obeying his voice and listening to what he tells me to do. But it's it's quite interesting that in this Torah portion, uh, Pharaoh is uh, is pictured as a godless ruler, not having a relationship with God, and yet God speaks to him in a dream. I'm not exactly sure why God does these things, but he is God and he can do these things. So, I can't be dogmatic about my answer that I'm about to share with you, for the Torah seems to be silent in the immediate portion, except to say this, that God wanted Pharaoh to be assured that the matter was fixed. Uh, He wanted Pharaoh to be sure that what was about to take place, that God himself was uh, in control. In fact, it's in chapter 41, verse 32 that we read uh, that, that this was why God gave him the dream twice. However, I do believe that the Torah seems to hint at an additional possibility as to why, uh, even though I said I can't be dogmatic. We know from further reading that this encounter with Yosef and his God leaves the Pharaoh absolutely convinced that Hashem has indeed anointed Yosef Read chapter 41, verses 37 through 41. To be sure, the position that Yosef was placed in was no small matter. Sometimes I think we don't stop and let that sink in. Joseph was elevated to the position of, really, Pharaoh. It was only in matters of the throne, uh, as Pharaoh mentioned, that um, he would be subjugated to Pharaoh. But more or less, he was king over the land. And so, why give the dream to Pharaoh? By de- uh, by demonstrating to him personally, I-, I believe, the awesome power and wisdom that exclusively lies in his hands, I believe that Hashem was, in essence, giving the Pharaoh and all of Egypt a chance to share in the blessings and provision that belong to those who name the name of the one true God of heaven. In other words, and again, I can't be dogmatic about this, but this is just the way it impacts me. I believe that God was saying to this godless ruler, this this man, Pharaoh, um, I am God and there's none other like me. And I want to give you a chance to see this. I'm going to demonstrate myself to you. And like all people, I'm going to show you that I don't play favorites. Sure, I select people. I selected Yosef. I'm filling in for God's words, as if God were saying this to Pharaoh. But, uh, in one sense, we're seeing that uh, God is consistent in his message throughout the rest of the Bible. We know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That this, is, this is a quote from another place in the Torah. And yet, sometimes we get the wrong impression as we read the Torah portions, uh, at least from a, a non-Israel point of view, a non-Jewish point of view. We seem to get the impression that God is only favoring the Jewish people and no one else. And my point here is that I think that God speak, spoke or gave a chance to all peoples uh, at different times, and we're just ca- catching glimpses of it here and there. In fact, to strengthen my assumption, um, I turned to the book of Psalms here as I was doing the study, and in Psalm 7... 
chapter 7, verse 8 through 10, we read that Hashem, the righteous judge, dispenses his judgment according to the individual's righteousness. Likewise, he not only establishes these righteous individuals, but he also brings to destruction the wicked ones. And the passage goes on to say that Hashem tests hearts and minds. That's in verse 9, that he tests the heart. Now, since we know that our own righteousness is but filth before a holy God, the truth of the matter is that we must be found righteous by his provision alone and by his standards. And it is according to that righteous standard that we are both judged and recognized. Pharaoh was an unrighteous ruler in that previously he did not recognize the one true God. However, it seems that Joseph is being brought into his life perhaps to give him a chance to change that. History does tell us that Egypt had many gods. It was a it was a polytheistic uh, civilization of which the Nile River was one of the primary gods. It was one of the chief gods. Um, and, as we mentioned in the first part of this Torah portion, his dream takes place on the banks of the Nile. So, if Hashem was able to demonstrate his mercy by sending an ungodly ruler a dream that could only be interpreted by a tzaddik, a righteous individual, a ruler whom, according to the Torah, did not seek Hashem first, this Pharaoh was not spoken of as seeking out God, but instead he sought the advice of magicians and false diviners. That's what it says in the text. How much more, if we, if we use a kal v'chomer, a light from heavy lesson here, how much more is God willing to reveal himself to those who are genuinely seeking after him? You get that? Here's my point. Hashem was also choosing to bless the land of Egypt in correlation to the Pharaoh's decision to recognize that it was indeed the spirit of Hashem who endowed Yosef with the supernatural ability to interpret dreams. In fact, most assuredly, the land of Egypt enjoyed the blessings and provision of Hashem once Pharaoh promoted Joseph to his position of leadership. So, you could say that Pharaoh believed in Hashem because of Yosef in a, in a kind of a strange way. After all, our God is not willing that any should perish, just as I quoted. This application that I'm giving to you right now, God works in mysterious ways, it also helps to explain why Hashem used the very next Pharaoh to also demonstrate his nature, God's nature, that is. This time, as I'm uh, getting ahead of myself, the Pharaoh did not choose to recognize Hashem in our next story. So our God decided to use him for a vessel to demonstrate his power in judgment rather than in blessing. And if you'd like to read ahead for yourself, you can turn to Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, as well as chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, and then you can correlate the information that you read there in the Torah portion with the commentary on that in Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 24, where Rav Shaul, in fact, makes us aware of this truth that we read about in the Torah portion, okay? Let's move on. This next section is entitled... The unfolding of God's plan. So the activities of Yosef continued to reflect the wisdom and anointing of Hashem. His subsequent dealings with his brothers as they come to him to buy supplies during the expected famine years demonstrates that even the lives of his brothers all revolve around a central purpose. And what is that purpose? I hope you've been uh, 
looking for it as you read through the portion here. The purpose, in my uh, wording here, is to, quote, reveal the providence of the Almighty God amidst apparent difficulties and to demonstrate the heart of God as He lovingly cares for even those who seemingly don't deserve His provision, end quote. That's how I've worded the central purpose of the Torah portion so far. In fact, in the case of his brothers, Yosef's brothers, Hashem was bringing them also to the place where they would eventually have to come to the conclusion that Yosef was the anointed one among them. They would also come to realize that he was actually singled out to facilitate God's blessings and provision and unto the rest of the family. Joseph would become the one who would distribute, as it were, the providence of God among the family, despite his seeming ostensible position of least importance, at least in their eyes. Isn't it really odd how God works? As the events are played out, <clears throat> excuse me, as the events are played out in the lives of this family from the land of Kinaan, Collectively, they begin to reflect upon the consequences of their, how shall we say, less than moral actions. It's really interesting that as one by one we see the brothers begin to realize this truth. In fact, as we go down the list, we first see it in the eldest son, Reuven, Reuben, as he recalls the mistake in wrongfully treating Yosef at the well. It's in chapter 42, verse 22, uh, uh, Reuben um, realizes that there's a reckoning because of what they, they've done. I'm sure that Shimon, Simon, also had plenty of time to contemplate uh, their injustice also. As Joseph decided to imprison him, Joseph singles out Simeon um, until they return to Egypt with the youngest son. Remember the story is that Joseph um, puts them through the paces, so to say, uh, bringing out within them the character uh, uh, needed to uh, get the truth out of them and really get a confession and a, a genuine bring about a genuine heart change. Uh, finally, once they reach home, uh, because they do take Joseph's advice, well, really Joseph puts them in, backs them into a corner. He says he's not going to give them many provisions uh, unless they do as he says. But finally, once they reach home, Yehuda, Judah, steps to the forefront and assures his father Israel that no harm would befall the young lad Benjamin. You remember. Um, Benjamin, Joseph's youngest brother, or younger brother, was the only son born to Rachel, which was, uh, uh, Joseph, I'm sorry, Rachel, uh, uh, yes, Rachel, Rachel, the, the uh, beloved of, of Israel. And so really we have two sons who were born to Israel, to, to Jacob, uh, by Rachel, whereas the other were born to uh, Leah. And so Benjamin was really kind of a, a fill-in for Joseph now that Joseph was presumed to be dead by his father. And so Benjamin wasn't going anywhere, is what the point I'm trying to make. Papa was saying, no, 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 I've already lost one son, I'm not going to lose another one. Um, and yet I think it's Joseph's knowledge of this uh, setup, uh, supernaturally, of course, by the Holy Spirit, What plus a little bit of just his own uh, information that he, he was raised with. But he plays that to his advantage as he uses um, his brothers to bring about that... Uh, that repentance that he's seeking, and that forgiveness, that reconciliation, ultimately, between um, estranged brothers. So, uh, 
Anyway, Judah steps forward to tell and assure his father, Israel, that no, nothing's going to happen to Benjamin and that he would indeed see his face again. In fact, he becomes the guarantor for his uh, security. He says, basically, look, if I don't bring him to you, then I am the one who's going to be responsible and you can do with me as you will. This next section is entitled, Trusting Hashem. As I mentioned in last week's parasha, Yehuda, Judah, would later play an important role in helping to bring about the promises of Hashem as the forefather of the tribe which would bear his name. You remember, all the twelve brothers eventually um, go on to become tribes of their own and thus we get the twelve tribes of Israel. We begin to see Yehuda take the responsibility and boldness that would earn him the preeminent blessing spoken about, or to be spoken about, I should say, in Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 12. That those those that portion is still coming up, and we'll read about it then. But right now, I'm just uh, alerting us to the fact. There must have been some amount of supernatural persuasion on the part of Yehuda when he's talking to his father there. For at last, Israel agrees to go along with the plan. I mean, think about it. He lost one son, and he is deathly afraid to lose another one. In fact, he says that if I lose another son, I'm going to die. And whether he's exaggerating or not, he, he firmly believes that he cannot lose another son. So as we continue reading, when the brothers come from uh, Kenan back to Egypt when they returned with Yosef. I'm sorry, they returned to Yosef with Benjamin. Yosef treats them all to an afternoon meal. This is very peculiar. Here, first he is their their uh, um, their uh, he's he's treating them harshly, uh, and now he seems to be uh, uh, hospitable to them. What gives? It's it's here once again. Uh, that he, Yosef, demonstrates his knowledge of the unknowable, uh, seemingly unknowable by his brothers. But he seats them all according to age from the firstborn to the youngest. The brothers surely must have been amazed. And I believe by this time Yosef was beginning to actually comprehend the sovereignty of Hashem for himself. He's beginning to see that the events of his past of his past um, circumstances and the dreams of his life, they're really beginning to make some sense. He's starting to see it all come together for the first time in his life. Whereas before, he's having these dreams, he's not really aware of, of how they're going to come to be. He's just uh, a young boy and he's having dreams. But here, as right in front of him, right before him, were his brothers seated before him, awaiting his command to either provide for them or destroy them. That had to be a powerful um, a powerful uh, demonstration of, of God's power as it's being played out in Joseph's life. And keep in mind that Joseph is seeing this in his mind, in his heart. Uh, the brothers perhaps aren't catching it just yet because they're, they're in the pinch. They're the pawns. They're, they're, they're the lab rats, so to say. They don't know that they're going through this, or do they? I don't think they do. Truly, to Joseph, that is, God was a God of mercy and wisdom. For only Hashem, Yosef might have contemplated, could have orchestrated the fantastic order of events up to this point. Wouldn't you think so? I know if I were in Joseph's place, I'd be thinking that. 
This has immediate implications for us today. I can't help but pause and make a, a practical application again. This story, if we, you and I, the ones uh, uh, walking in in faithfulness today, the ones who are naming the name of Hashem, the ones who have placed our trust in Yeshua, we have but to trace our uh, but to place our trust in God's invisible hand and do what? Watch Him bring about the events and circumstances in our own lives. Circumstances that are designed to result in blessing and provision. That's why we really should be cooperating with God, not fighting against Him. We stubbornly try to do things our own way. And as a result, because there's a call on our lives, because there's an anointing on us because of, of, of Yeshua, um, things seem to work out contrary to how we would hope them to be and uh and i'm speaking from experience for myself i'm, I'm not just uh, uh picking on you all listening to this commentary but rather i i can also confess that i know at times when um when i'm not doing all that i should be for god and as a result um i seem to take how shall we say the long road or the long way about things and yet god is saying ariel if you would just 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 walk in my way surrender yourself to me stop fighting me ariel then I will bring about the right events and circumstances to make it all work together and and make it all work out better than I would suppose it, it should have been if I would have not would not have fought God. Um, and so really it's a call to action. As the Torah teaches in the book of Proverbs, quote, and this is a familiar pasuk, a familiar verse, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, then he will level your paths. That's Psalms, I'm sorry, that's Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. It's a familiar passage, but how often do we take it to heart? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and don't rely on our understanding. That's the hard part, isn't it? Yeah. Surely, once we witness with our own eyes the sovereignty of our Lord, we will praise him all the more. We should begin to actively pursue acknowledging him for his promises of blessing and provision. Stop and thank God for the the people that he's brought into your life, for the events that he's brought into your life. Because if you are a believer, and I trust that you are if you're listening to this commentary, and if you're not, it's 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 a matter of, of surrendering to him to become a believer. But we are being conformed into the image of his son whether we realize it or not so let's stop fighting him we should actively as i said said earlier we should actively pursue acknowledging god for his promises of blessing and provision but let us not forget that our god is worthy of our praise not merely for what he can do for us that's the wrong attitude don't thank God just because he what just because of what he has done or what he can do. Rather, thank God for who he is in spite of what he has done. He is God and he is worthy of our praise just for being God. To be sure, this is the attitude of the character in our Haftar also, going back to that. As he was nearing the conclusion of his long-lived and adventurous life, Melech Shlomo, King Solomon, advised all that would later read his wise sayings to, quote, fear God and keep his mitzvot, his commandments. 
You see, Shlomo was a man who, shall we say, experienced it all. There was nothing that he did not um, take to himself and, and, and examine. And yet, after all of that, his final contemplation was what? Yirat Hashem, fear of the Lord. Let's conclude my Torah portion. The port, uh, this section is entitled Concluding Application. You know, today we may not directly experience the type of betrayal and rejection that Yosef did. Or we may not have. Uh, well, we may have. <laughs> we may and may not. I can't speak for everyone, right? Or we may not have the many life experiences that Shlomo did either. You know, we don't have to experience it all. However, like Yosef and like Shlomo, we do have a great high priest that did suffer ultimate rejection from his brothers. Oh yes, in that way, we can't identify. To be sure, this great high priest was also a king, yet he provided for us the ultimate example of an anointed one of God. He was a king, he was a priest, but he is our brother. He was a son of God, just like we are, in a sense, sons of God. Yeshua and Yosef are both examples, in my opinion, of what Hashem can accomplish when a seemingly insignificant individual is singled out by the Ruach HaKodesh to be the recipient of the supernatural wisdom of the Spirit of the Holy One. Let's make a comparison. Both men, Yeshua and Yosef, were treated unfairly, and yet both men remained humble in the face of adversity. Melech Shlomo wasn't necessarily mistreated, if we kind of bring him into the mix, but instead, he acted as, how we say, a repository for the wisdom of Hashem. And yet, he made more than his fair share of mistakes. And yet, Hashem did not reject him as his chosen person. He still blessed him. I'm not saying, defy God and live life to the hilt and see if he'll still bless you. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Yet, Hashem can accomplish anything through the circumstances that seem to plague us. God can work through every circumstance. And it will work out for our better. So have faith. Have faith. You're going through a tough time. Dig your heels into God's grace. Plant yourself firmly in His word. Rest in His grace. Rest in His spirit. Calm your troubled mind. Yes, the Torah is a document filled with the lives of imperfect men. Just like me and you. Just like you and I. Just like the, uh, uh, we who are alive today. These imperfect men trusted in the providence and grace of not an imperfect God, but a perfect God. Yosef once again allows his brothers to make for Kinaan with provisions for their family. But this time, as we read in the portion, unknown to his brothers, he manipulates a plan to further develop their character. I believe that Joseph is operating under the power of the Spirit. Again, he singles out Binyamin and he places his personal goblet, his, his, his kiddush cup, in the pack of, of uh, Benjamin. Upon learning of the turn of events, the Torah portion tells us that the brothers are speechless. This 
was the moment that Yosef was waiting for. The moment when his brothers finally had come to the place of total desperation. A place of utter helplessness. You could say that Hashem had cornered them, Yosef realized, and there was nowhere else to hide. This is the place, as I make an application, where an individual needs to find himself in order to accept the provision and blessing that Hashem has in store for him. It's really much like Jacob of our previous parashot. The individual comes to the end of himself and realizes that it's only God who can make things right. By reaching the end of their rope, so to say, they are faced with the opportunity to fall on the mercy and grace of the one that they figured would be of no significant place in their lives. Hmm. In fact, as we make an application again to Yosef, someday, according to the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, this is the place that the nation of Israel will ultimately have to come to as well as they face the brother that they forsook almost 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen. The closing blessing is as follows. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu toret emet vechayei olam nata batochinu Baruch ata Adonai no tein haTorah. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You have given us your Torah of truth and have planted everlasting life within our midst. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember... Because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua, through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song, Shema, was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>